Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. little bit of context of where we've been over the last few weeks. See, at the first of the year, we started a new series called Rebuild My Life. And we have this conviction that 2020 and coronavirus and all that happened in the last 12 months stole some things from us. It, it, it created some rubble in our life that we are convinced Jesus is inviting us with his power to rebuild. So we've been talking about rebuilding our vision, rebuilding our priorities. Last week, we talked about rebuilding our generosity. And today, we're going to look at the next thing that I think God wants us to rebuild. I remember the day. The day was May 10th. And I remember it because it's my birthday. And this last year, it was my 40th birthday. And I had a picture in my mind of what I would do for my 40th and getting together with some friends and uh, throwing a, a party and just celebrating life. And coronavirus ruined that. It, it didn't happen. Instead, I got a, a drive-by party that was really, really cool and just affirmations from, from some friends through text messages. But it was a, a far cry from what I had envisioned in my mind. Uh, roughly 80% of us have experienced a COVID birthday at this point in time. And if you haven't experienced a COVID birthday, you experienced a COVID New Year's, right? Where uh, we saw Times Square almost empty with hosts in the street trying to get us excited about a new year with no people and very little energy. And it didn't feel like much of a, of a celebration, and I don't know about you, but there's this collective lament among us. It's like we weren't designed to go to weddings over Zoom or to have family-only memorials or to have graduations that are simply handing a piece of paper through a car window to say, congratulations, you finally made it. It's almost as though this collective lament that rises among us rises because we know that we were created to to mark moments, to, to celebrate, and to drink in the goodness of life. And at least partially as a result, a study that the CDC did last June reported that 40% of adults are experiencing some sort of mental health issues or are dabbling in substance abuse. Now, that doesn't even take into account the kids who are really, really struggling. See, we may not be able to fully express with words all that's going on in our hearts and souls, but there is a collective lament that seems to rise among us, that, that there's something we need to be fully human that we're not getting in moments like this. It was Lewis Smeads, the theologian, who said, to miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for our existence. And I think he's right that this wet blanket of coronavirus has robbed us of some things that it means to be human. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, Ryan, 
uh, COVID isn't going anywhere anytime soon and it doesn't seem like these lockdowns are going to automatically end. And so what's your plan? What's your proposal? What's the, what's the way forward? Uh, here, here's my suggestion and here's my proposal. I, I think we look to the scriptures and specifically let's look to Nehemiah as he teaches us how to rebuild our lives. So if you have a Bible, will you open with me to Nehemiah chapter 8? Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, as you know, the Persians had allowed some um, people, some Hebrews, to go back to Jerusalem to begin rebuild it, to rebuild the temple, and then subsequently to rebuild the wall. That's what Nehemiah has been working on. He has rebuilt the wall, but as we said last week, there was more than a wall that needed to be rebuilt. They, they needed infrastructure, they needed politics, they needed social reform, and as we're going to see today, they also needed religious reform, and that's where Nehemiah is going to push into next. And listen to the way Nehemiah chapter 8 begins. It says this, All the people were gathered as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Now, the first day of the seventh month was sort of like their their New Year's uh, day. And it was a day that was sacred and set apart for the Lord. And it was a day of rest. Verse 3, and we heard from it facing the square before the water gate. So just a quick time out. They're not in the temple reading because in the temple there would have been restrictions about who was allowed to go in. So the fact that they're at the water gate in a courtyard means that anybody can come and anybody can listen. And as we see, a number of people were there and listening from early in the morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. (laughs) What a statement. What a statement. So they're there from morning until midday, roughly six hours. They're listening to Ezra read the scriptures. And, And if you continue to read in this chapter, you see that they have leaders placed all throughout to explain the text to the people, Ezra's standing on this platform and declaring the goodness of God, reading through the law, reminding them of the covenants and the promises, and, and the people are just are eating it up. They're leaning in to the scriptures, and everything that we're going to see that follows is a response to what they hear in the Word of God. I love this picture, you guys. I love this picture of people devoted to the scriptures. I mean, that's who we are as a church. And so many of you who continue to worship online and engage with the scriptures online, and and so many of our people who are gathering on campus in the courtyards and, you know, fighting through the elements and the sun and the cold in order to really hear and learn the way of Jesus. Gosh, you guys, I am so grateful for the way that this church loves the scriptures. And that's a picture of what we see going on in Jerusalem as well. And listen to what the people did in response. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep or mourn. Now, here's what had happened. They had heard the scriptures. 
They had known that they had gotten off track. The reason they were taken into exile was because of sin. And there were so many things going on in their midst that were going against the grain of the way that God had designed them and the way of Shalom. And so they're going, God, we've messed up here. And they're beginning to mourn. And they're beginning to to fast. And they're beginning to turn in and go, God, search us and know us, which is a really, really good prayer. It says, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, verse 10, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I mean, what a turn. And Nehemiah goes, I know you're grieving and I know you're repenting. And I know that you're confessing and turning before the Lord and you're mourning because you see where you've gone and what you've done. But that's not what today is for, Nehemiah says. Today is for celebrating because God's joy is your strength. And one of the ways we experience joy is through celebration. In fact, I would invite you to write this down. Celebration is the spiritual discipline of intentionally enjoying the gifts of life so that we can more fully enjoy the giver of life. Let me, let me say that again while you're writing it down. Celebration is a spiritual discipline of intentionally, meaning we choose to do this, intentionally enjoying the gifts of life so that we can more fully enjoy the giver of life. And what Nehemiah says is when you engage in that discipline, you are strengthened. I mean, in so many ways, celebration is a, a portal to joy. You can't wave a magic wand and automatically have joy, but you can like, like sort of put the proverbial sail of your life up to catch the wind of divine joy that Jesus tells us is always blowing. I think of what the psalmist said in Psalm 34 verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. The psalmist, just like Nehemiah, is calling us to be intentional about seeing and savoring the goodness of God. I mean, maybe it's appropriate that COVID causes people to lose their sense of smell and taste. And maybe COVID's caused us to lose our taste in more ways than one. I mean, maybe we've lost our taste of the goodness of God also. And maybe, just maybe, this invitation that Nehemiah is laying out for the people of Israel is an invitation that God is laying out for us today. In the midst of the rubble, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of confusion, what if, what if we became a people of celebration? See, as we're going to see, that spiritual discipline has the potential to change everything. So let's follow Nehemiah's guidance and leadership and let's step in and see what God has for us as he invites us to become people of celebration. It was cool in the gang that sang, celebrate good times, come on. 
And in so many ways, I think they echo the way that we typically think about celebration. I mean, we think about celebration as a response to good times, to good things. When our team wins the Super Bowl, this will be hard for uh, Charger fans, but when our team wins the Super Bowl, uh, we celebrate, right? We celebrate good times. But notice, that's not what's going on in Nehemiah chapter 8. They are not celebrating good times. They're creating a good time through celebration. So, so they are looking at the gifts that God has given and they are responding to their creator in celebration. And Nehemiah is showing us that celebration must be built into the rhythms of our days. Even our unfinished work, we must take time to celebrate in many ways. He's echoing the father's claim in Jesus's famous parable of the prodigal son, where the father says, we had to celebrate, reminding us that celebration is essential. It's not optional, which means that we can choose it. Spontaneous celebration, certainly. It happens as a response to good things and good circumstances. There's nothing wrong with that. But intentional celebration, the spiritual discipline of celebration, is a choice that can happen at any time. And when we choose it, we are changed. And so let's jump in and look at the way that Nehemiah leads us to celebrate and really the the playbook he gives us to be people who practice the discipline of celebration. Listen again with me to Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Nehemiah wrote this, And then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine. Now, now, quick time out. Let's talk about what he means by eat the fat, because that's not a term that we utilize a lot. What he's saying is, eat the best meat that you can find. Get, Get the best drinks that you can get. And utilize those temporal pleasures, those, those physical things to allow your heart to open up to the goodness of God. Here's the first thing that I want you to write down. Celebration is, is lavish. It, it has a, a sense of extravagance to it. It's the reason that the father in the prodigal son story kills the fatted calf. He kills the, the best calf. And that means that it's costly. It means that there was some planning that went into it. It means that it's extravagant, that it's lavish. See, here's the truth of the matter. You and I are embodied beings. So what we do with our bodies helps us engage with God. It helps lead us to celebration and it helps us experience joy. That's why in the scriptures, celebration involves activities that bring pleasure. But notice, the end is not pleasure. See, that's hedonism, actually. The end in celebration is an awareness of God, an awareness of God, and an awareness of our loving Father. See, one of the ways we've adopted this in our household is by what we call Friday meals, okay? So we have, we have like our normal weekly meals that we eat and they're good and they sustain us and they taste good and I, I, love, I love most of them, but, but some meals aren't worthy of being Friday meals. 
Like a Friday meal has to be really, really good. A Friday meal has to be the kind of meal that you want to eat slowly and savor. Uh, a Friday meal is the kind of meal that you look forward to all day. That's a Friday meal. A Friday meal makes us reflect on Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7 and go, that's what I'm talking about. Let, let me read it to you. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. That's what I'm talking about. That's a Friday meal. Because Friday is the day that we, or Friday night is the day we start celebrating the Sabbath together. And for us, uh, one of the things that we try to do is call it joy stack the Sabbath. It means that you pile up things that intentionally lead you to delight. That's what the Sabbath is partially for. Uh, Certainly Sabbath is for worship, but it's also to drink in the goodness of life, to remember that God is a good God. We, We joy stack the Sabbath. It might mean that you go for a long walk and just appreciate nature. It may mean that you eat a great meal. It may mean that if you're married, you make love. It may mean that you read a good book or that you do things that cause your soul to delight. But remember, the the point of all that is not just to enjoy the gifts, it's to lead us back to the giver, to remind us that God is with us, that God is present, and that God is in the everyday things of life. I love the way that the Apostle Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. He says this, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So it turns out, this is awesome, you may want to write this down. It turns out that eating a great steak can turn into a worship service. Somebody say, Amen. And that's precisely what Nehemiah is leading the people to in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. But there's another part of this celebration playbook that he draws out for us. It's embedded into this passage. Here's what he said. After go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. I don't have time to unpack this today, but celebration is a communal thing. It involves everybody. If, if everybody isn't participating, then there's something that's missed. And Nehemiah wants all of the people of God to drink in the goodness of God. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That word strength in the Hebrew means, quote, a place or means of safety or protection, unquote. That's the definition, a place or means of safety or protection. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, when he said this, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. And, and rejoicing in the Lord is a safeguard for you. So joy is a place of safety or protection, a place of strength, and it's a safeguard for us, meaning that that it catches us when we start to fall. Nehemiah said it like this, the joy of of the Lord is our strength. It's our safety and protection, meaning it's this. Will you write this word down? It's transformational. Joy changes us. Joy does something to our soul, which is why we're calling it a spiritual discipline. I think there's a gentle correction 
that might be helpful here. Because so much of the time we default to assuming that the spiritual journey is one that's wrought with self-reflection that reminds us just how terrible we are. And I want to say there's a a place for that. There's a place for self-reflection, a big place for self-reflection, for self-examination, for bringing our heart before God to say, search me and know me, and to see ways that we're falling short, that we might repent and more fully believe the gospel and see God and turn back to him. there's There's a big place for that. But that isn't the only way that God meets us. And that isn't the only way that Jesus transforms us. He also transforms us as we experience joy. I did a study one time trying to figure out how many times God commands the Israelite people to fast and then how many times he commands them to feast. There are only one is only one place in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel is commanded to fast. It's at the Day of Atonement. By way of contrast, there are 70 to 80 days that they are commanded to feast. It's as though God knows something about the human soul, that we're strengthened through joy, that we're strengthened through feasting. And so many of us think of spiritual disciplines as things that we don't do, disciplines of abstinence, but this spiritual discipline, a discipline of celebration, is also fitting for us as followers of Jesus as we seek to be formed more to live in his way with his heart. We might say it like this, joylessness is a sin. I mean, we're commanded to rejoice. And so when we don't, we need to repent And we need to turn back to Jesus who's inviting us, rejoice. I'll say it again to you, rejoice, as the Apostle Paul wrote. It was Francis de Salas who said this. He said, the evil one is pleased with sadness and melancholy because he himself is sad and melancholy and will be for all of eternity. Hence, he desires that everybody be like himself. Those are some strong words. So what would it look like for us to be strengthened through celebration. Well, let me give you three ways that I see this playing out in our lives. So three ways that we are strengthened through celebration. Here's the first. Celebration and joy make sin look less attractive. Celebration and joy make sin look less attractive. I mean, joy, intentional joy, is one of the ways we wage war against sin. We were created to delight in God. And when we do that, the temptation to delight in anything else is weakened. It loses its power. However, when we lead boring, depressing lives, sin will look pretty good for us. In the same way that a fire needs oxygen to grow, so sin needs unmet desires and unsatisfied expectations. So, for example, when there's unmet desires going on in a marriage, the heart is more prone to wander. That's true in our earthly relationships, and it's true in our spiritual relationship with God as well. It's the reason that Dallas Willard said, we must arrange our lives so that sin no longer looks good. And celebration is one of the ways that we do that. It strengthens us because it satisfies us in our good Father. Here's the second thing it does. Celebration and joy remind us that life is a gift. 
and that it's meant to be enjoyed. I mean, you and I are being called right now today to remember that life is a gift. The very breath that we're taking is grace. We don't hold this whole thing together and we don't need to be in control of it. It's the reason the psalmist wrote in Psalm 118 verse 24, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Do you know how many days of your life you can read that and it'll be true? Every single one. On your best day and on your worst day, you can read, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of a stay-at-home order, we can celebrate. And Nehemiah told the people, All right, I know you're prone to mourn in this moment and to weep, but now is not the time for that. Now is the time for celebration. And maybe, maybe, God wants to say the same thing to us today. You know, I think kids get this maybe better than adults sometimes. I mean, if you've been around kids for any length of time, you know that they laugh a lot. Specifically at the dinner table when we're trying to eat and they're not supposed to laugh, that's when things get really, really funny, right? Well, studies have shown that kids laugh on average over 300 times a day. Adults, by contrast, laugh less than 20. Less than 20. So what happens to us as we quote-unquote mature? And I think that there's something about kids that recognize that even though life isn't perfect, it's still a gift and it's something to be enjoyed. And you know what the studies have shown? Studies have shown that laughter strengthens your immune system, immune system, boosts your mood, diminishes pain, protects you from damaging effects of stress, that nothing works faster or more dependently to bring your mind and body back into balance than a good laugh. Now, maybe there's more truth in the the best medicine is laughter than we originally or initially might think. Laughter is just one way we get to celebrate and are reminded that life is good and that God is present. Here's the final thing that I want to point out. Celebration reminds us finally that we're loved. In the same way that when we celebrate a birthday, we're reminded that people are affirming it's good that we were born. Celebration does the same thing, but it reminds us that our heavenly father loves us, that he's given us good gifts because he's for us and he wants to do good to us. It's the reason that Jesus said to to his disciples in Matthew chapter seven, verse 11, he said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven Give good things to those who asked. Uh, James would write, every good and perfect gift comes from above. And when we pause long enough to drink it in, to remember that we're loved by our Heavenly Father, who created all of this and holds it all together by the very breath of His Word, we are strengthened. You know, one of the most challenging things, I think, as a follower of Jesus is to choose joy when we don't feel it. It was the band Rend Collective that wrote the song, The Joy of the Lord is Our Strength. We've been singing that in a number of our services over the past few weekends because it's right out of Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. But a few of the band members, two of them who are married, got pregnant while they were on tour. And, and then they had a miscarriage. 
And so they had to go on the stage every single night with this pain and sing this song, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And they tell the story of how hard it was to sing that song, but how they decided that they were just going to put the scriptures to the test and say, God, we're going to choose joy. Even though we may not feel it right now, we're going to choose joy. Will you be our strength? And the way that they testified about God's love and goodness and the gift of life in the midst of a season of despair is what I want all of us to sense as we step into the spiritual discipline of celebration, that God might awaken some dormant and dead things in our soul that cause us to awaken to the goodness of life and the presence of our Father in the midst of it all. I mean, how great is it, you guys, that one of the ways God wants to love us is through celebration, inviting us to His joy intentional time with good food and good friends, with fun activities that would open our hearts to the love of our Father. I love that about our God. So let me point out one final thing that creates our playbook for celebration from Nehemiah's life. And it's something that we've talked about, sort of danced around, but it will be good for us to name. Look at verses 11 and 12 with me as Nehemiah writes. He says this, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and make great rejoicing because they'd understood the words that were declared to them. And I love this. Nehemiah essentially says to the people, stop your crying. Stop your crying. There's a time and a place for that. But today is not that day. Today is for rejoicing. And then he tells us why. He says, because today is holy. Meaning today is set apart. Meaning today is a day that we are anticipating God meeting us and God interacting with us. It's a holy day, which by the way, is where we get our word holiday. It's a holy day. And I'd invite you to write this down, that celebration is lavish. It's extravagant. It's transformational. It changes us because it strengthens us. And then finally, It is sacred. It's sacred because God meets us in these moments. Yeah, Nehemiah says it's set apart. The celebration is a time where we anticipate meeting with God. See, dialogue can be just as spiritual as silence. Feasting can be just as spiritual as fasting. Dancing just as spiritual as kneeling. And it's Jesus who's pointing us to all of these things. And as we look at the life of Jesus, what we see is that he actually engaged in celebration. Like he literally met people around a table when he was walking this earth. Listen to the way that Matthew describes the way that people viewed Jesus because of this activity. In Matthew 11 verse 19, he wrote, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him. 
a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I mean, so they're accusing Jesus of being one who's a, a glutton and a drunkard. He wasn't either of those things, by the way. But the way that they looked at him, the way that they observed him, led them to that conclusion. Because he spent a lot of time around tables. He spent a lot of time in celebrations. And here's the beautiful part of this. It was at celebrations that Jesus was introducing people to eternal life. And he used a celebration, I think, because it was the scene that most adequately pointed to what eternal life looks like. He used this canvas of a celebration to point people to eternal life because that type of a celebration was and will be yours and my eternal destiny. It's the reason that when the authors of scriptures tell the stories that Jesus told, they say things like, the kingdom of God is like a great banquet. It's like a wedding feast. It's like a marriage supper of the lamb. That All of this language is celebration language. And they're saying, yes, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And these are the places God meets us now and what he's planning for us for all of eternity. What a beautiful picture. Jesus used the place that looked as much like their eternal home as he could to invite them to their eternal destiny. See, friends, I'm convinced that God wants to rebuild our lives. And in doing so, he wants to rebuild our celebration. He wants us to engage in lavish meals. He wants us to be transformed by the joy of the Lord. And he wants us to meet with God as we enjoy the gifts that he has given us. So here's my final question for us. What can we do in response to this text. Let me give you a few ideas. So there's three ways that I wanna invite you to take this home and apply it in your life. I wanna invite you to apply it daily, weekly, and seasonally. Here's what I mean. Daily. If we don't choose to rejoice today, we will never choose to rejoice at all. Here's what I mean by that. We can't wait until life is perfect to say we're going to celebrate. Nehemiah didn't. The people of God didn't in Nehemiah 8, and we can't either. See, we don't have to celebrate perfection. We can celebrate God's presence, and we can do that at any point in time. But I think meals are one of the best times for us to create many celebrations. Chances throughout our every day to pause and say, God, thank you. Life is a gift. You love me. You've provided for me to create a mini celebration every meal. In fact, listen to the way that Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about this. He says, God cannot endure that unfestive, mirthless attitude of ours in which we eat our bread in sorrow with pretentious, busy haste, or even shame. Through our daily meals, he is calling us to rejoice, to keep holiday in the midst of our working day. Oh, what a great challenge. I want to challenge, I want to challenge you to practice this daily at every meal. But second, I want to invite you to practice this weekly to take on the spiritual discipline of Sabbath, but joy stack the Sabbath. Just try it a few times and see if it opens up something in your soul. 
Plan a Sabbath day where you eat great food. Maybe you spend some time with good friends. You get out and enjoy God's creation. Do things that feed your soul on the Sabbath. Celebrate on the Sabbath. And then finally, I want to invite you to do this seasonally. Meaning, uh, maybe you decide you're going to throw a COVID-friendly party, right? And you invite people over and you enjoy the life that God's given. Or maybe you decide it's time to start planning a vacation, to get something on the books. It's not unspiritual or unholy to spend time and money to plan and to say, God, we want to take some time as a family or, you know, as a friend group to just really drink in and enjoy the goodness of life. And then expect God to form you in it and meet you there as you take time to celebrate. Emmanuel Faith, Emmanuel Faith, let's be people who rebuild our lives by rebuilding our celebration. I mean, after all, we are people who are shaped by good news. That's what that word gospel means, good news. And I want to invite you to write this down as we close our time. Good news is our foundation. Therefore, there is always a cause for celebration. Good news is our foundation as followers of Jesus. Therefore, there is always a cause for celebration. And I don't want this season to steal more from us than it already has. So let's push back in joyful, celebratory defiance. Let's celebrate even if we feel like we're in the valley. Friends, let's rebuild our lives as we rebuild our celebration. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every single one of the people watching and my friends here that, God, you would invite us into this, that it would be your words and your invitation that you hold out to call us to be and to become people who celebrate. We want to celebrate well. We feel like we are people who have all the reason for joy. We hold good news. We hold gospel. And so, Jesus, our prayer would be that you would teach us how to rebuild our celebration, that it would be lavish, that it would be transformational, that it would be sacred, and that it would be a spiritual discipline that allows us to enjoy your gifts as we enjoy, ultimately enjoy the giver. May it be true of us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.